Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Rider. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, proud fundraiser from my time working for Alzheimer's Research UK, now the charities lead at London Marathon events where I get to work with thousands of brilliant and amazing charities, father of three football-obsessed children and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do More Good Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Okay, here we are, James. Episode number 85 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Very well, Kenneth. Very well. It's a lunchtime session today, which is a little bit different for us, isn't it? Packing it into a, into a lunch break rather than our usual kind of boozy evenings, which uh, descend. So, yeah, all good. All good. How about you? Yeah, surprising not to see you with a with a lager on the go or some kind of... Uh... <laughs> it's just out of shot, mate. It's just out of shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's only yeah. one o'clock. No, I'm all, I'm all right, thank you, actually. I'm, uh, yeah, just to, again, I always say it, but I'm sure like everybody, busy time at work, it's kind of looking ahead to events, looking ahead to 2022. I don't know if you saw this week, but we had Ride London was launched and like it's, you know, sold out the first 10,000 places in like record time. So, you know, there's huge demand, I think, out there for people wanting to get back to events and getting out there. So, yeah, it's all good. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, fine. Um, the Ride London hit the dad's mammals cycling lycra WhatsApp group like nothing you've seen before. Yes, oh, it did spread it. through that pretty quickly. So yeah, I was aware of that. Yeah, good news. Good. good. News. And we've got another great guest who we've been back and forth with over the last few weeks, Charles Illness and, and just live getting in the way, but we're really pleased to, to have them on. So we'll come on and introduce them in a second. But just one thing I noticed when looking through our guest background ahead of today and doing our research was bit of experience with nightclubs or nightclub brands and I thought this would be a nice moment James just to reflect on our you know younger days and ask you what your favorite nightclub was when you were a, a, oh, a teeny bopper my goodness Ken. well when I was younger Kenneth like, there's nothing I loved more than a night out so in London I went to Fabric and the Cross the Key Egg various kind of sweaty railway arches in King's Cross um, I love it there. I, they I, sound like the ones that I would do too. I, I thought I recognised you. I also went to, I went to Ibiza, might recognise you from there. I spent a very enjoyable evening by myself in Razzmatazz in Barcelona. Um, somewhere hidden behind me on this bookshelf, I've got a membership card for Delano's in Bromley. I used to go to garage nights at Zen's in Dartford. I once spent the evening in a car park in Maidstone because all of my mates got into Amadeus nightclub and I didn't. Um, I was on the beach for Fat Boy Slim with, what's it, 250,000 other people. Kenneth, I am no stranger to a dance floor. I owned Human Traffic on DVD and pretty much wore it out. So, therefore, I feel qualified to say there is no better place than the Saturday before Christmas on the middle floor when the DJ at the venue in New Cross drops Call Me Out by Paul Simon. Uh, and everybody does kind of the pipe dance absolute scenes Kenny. absolute scenes oh my gosh well I can't even come I can't even you know get anywhere near that I mean my 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 nightclub stories were mostly in the Midlands and, and up north so venturing to 
likes of Gatecrasher up in Sheffield, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Passion in Colville. We were quite lucky growing up in Nottingham. We had a renaissance there, a residency with Carl Cox back in the day. So, you know, you know, when you were younger and your mum and dad used to tell you about their days when they used to go out and, oh, it was so much different. You know, don't you feel like that now? You know, I was speaking to someone the other day, one of my next door neighbours is much younger than I am. And it's, it's just a, a different world, different generation. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I feel like with your kids, has Carl Cox ever played the Fen Stanton social play? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. No? Not much nightclubbing going on around here, although we have got a local nightclub that opened in the town next to where I am, and it's uh, notably named Out Out which I thought oh, was, uh, you know, quite key. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're certainly not getting Cole Cox in there. But look, our guest is patiently waiting. I'm sure she wants to contribute and has got some great, great stories from her former days nightclubbing. But do you want to crack on with the intro, Jane? Yeah, go on then. So um, our guest this week is Gillian Jackson, the Director of Engagement at House of St Barnabas. Now, longer term listeners to the show might recognise the name as we previously recorded with Rosie Ferguson, the CEO of the club, which acts as both a membership organisation and homelessness charity. Now, Gillian doesn't just spend her time in the grade one listed townhouse in the centre of Soho. She also pops down to City Hall thanks to her role as Commissioner for Diversity for the Mayor of London, celebrating the city in a more diverse manner. And because two roles are never quite enough, she is also a trustee for Culture 24, acting as a consultant for museums and cultural spaces. Her CV includes the Lambeth Youth Violence Committee, five years at Liberty, work with Red Bull, Y Food, Brixton Design Trail and Adidas. She also ran festivals in Malawi and was head of marketing for the Ministry of Sound. She's a big fan of the Ben Stanton Social Club. Um, and Gillian, <laughs> just scrolling through your CV gave me a blister. But there was no mention of the venue in, in New Cross, which I was surprised about. <laughs> Have you ever been? No. Oh, you're, you're missing out. You're missing out. It's five five floors. I mean, it's something for everybody. And it's been there for about 50 years, I think. Thank you so much for, for coming on. It's a really pleasure to, to speak to you and get the chance to, to meet you. Looking through your profile, and as, as James said, just in terms of your career, kind of social impact, creativity, the arts is, is a bit of a, a common theme. Wanted to kind of rewind back a little bit to your earlier days, maybe those days when when clubbing was as much a part of your life as it as it used to be uh, for us. How did your career start and how did you kind of navigate that during your earlier years? Sure. I mean, just thank you for the introduction. And also it's brilliant hearing the the memories of I've been to actually most of the the venues that um, that, that you mentioned and and had run events at kind of gate crashers and um, renaissance rooms and, and places like that as well. So I, yeah, I, I did start my career as a promoter. And actually, I found that when I, I was much younger, trying to get into the music industry was something that was really difficult. Um, and actually, I uh, sort of as a, as a keen person that really wanted to work, I kind of I ended up just doing it myself. So I, I kind of ran a drum and bass night and garage night at one point. So in, enjoyed the, the conversation that, that you were having a, a minute ago um, and then set up a music festival uh, while I was at uni in Manchester called Pangea. What's really interesting is sort of fast forward to, to where I am now. Actually, I, I find that the uh, sort of cutting my teeth as a promoter, as it were, is is really what has kind of helped me to to understand audiences and engagement in a way that I think I, I just wouldn't have otherwise so you know the world has changed so much 
you know, whereas once upon a time using a flyer to, to try and get people's attention when actually social media didn't really exist was something that kind of, the, the, the way in which you would uh, talk to people uh, was really, really different. I kind of moved moved a long way from from nightclubs, but uh, it is always really kind of love having conversations about about music and, and those early days for sure. Yeah, fantastic. And presumably you did it because you wanted to put on those nights where those nights not happening, and you thought, well, if someone's got to do it, then then I'll set this up, and then you've got like the community that comes with it, and the fact that you know you're front of the queue, you get you get waved straight in. I'd imagine as well. Uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, for sure. I, I often wanted to kind of uh, create experiences for friends that maybe didn't have the opportunity to, to go to things themselves. So I kind of, I went to Camberwell Art College and, and at that time I would uh, put on a number of events for, for students. And then when I moved to Manchester, started to do that for students that were potentially just looking for a, for a different alternative uh, night out. And, and I think quite quickly that became something that I, when I set up the music festival Pangea, it was really that uh, I saw a kind of gap in the market that there were only really sort of student balls at that time that were quite formal, but we were sort of looking at um, festivals that I think at that time there, there weren't that many music festivals actually, there were things like Glade, uh, obviously Glastonbury was a big one, but there, there weren't, re- and Festival were kind of, they were only really the, the three big music festivals. So we wanted to create our own version of that in Manchester. So that's sort of where where it all started really was kind of creating a moment for friends that then quickly grew into something that it actually became the biggest or student-led music festival in Europe. Kenneth, this is the this is the closest we have ever come to the coolest kid on campus. A hundred percent, James, a hundred percent. I think it's really interesting what you say, Gillian, about what you learned during those times, because I, I can imagine, you know, there's quite a lot of hustle going on. You know, it was pretty informal, a lot about relationships, as you talked about the kind of audiences and the experiences you were, you were getting in, which I'm sure is certainly applicable to to your role now but I just want to kind of fast forward a a little bit you spent six years of your career with the agency Liberty um, working on their Somewhere 2 project which looks really interesting sounds a fascinating project to be involved with can you just tell us more about that work and 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 the impact that 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 project had on on the the lives of some of the young people that it that it touched yeah I started at Liberty to uh, to head up there it it was actually the the biggest youth strand of the Cultural Olympiad, which was uh, a sort of funding stream that was set up around the, the London Olympics in 2012. And so Somewhere Too was um, specifically looking at the meanwhile space or sort of disused or underused space that there is in the UK and saying, why do we not just hand this over to young people to be able to create um, their own cultural projects within it? We operated in 18 regions across the UK. and essentially provided young people with an opportunity and and within that you know we we did everything from uh, creating art projects in parking spaces right through to um, uh, say helping people to create a fashion show at Somerset House we took over just sort of empty shop spaces in in kind of slightly run down shopping centres to create a number of pop-up shops and so it was a really kind of 
broad fear of anything that that seemed to be meanwhile or just not being used space at that time was something that we were able to create sort of help a a young person to realize an idea and then after that I moved to working for uh, Liberty the agency to help to set up their youth network so they now have a, a global youth network and they work with young people in a number of different ways but predominantly to get them into employment into the cultural industries so I helped to to create a sort of wide and vibrant and diverse uh, youth network. Sounds like this elements have kind of been quite entrepreneurial there I mean you talk about Mm. promoting club nights and then spotting things I mean with the project you were just talking about there about kind of taking there's an art theme to it as well and maybe Mm -hmm. seeing what something could be and realizing it rather than just letting it go having an idea and having a spark that passion Mm -hmm. really comes through for you yeah and I think that's something that um that has really been a a big strand throughout my work For, for me a personal driver is kind of understanding the importance of sort of preserving culture and and helping to to hand over culture to the next generation so after setting up the music festival in uh, in Manchester I actually moved to Malawi and did uh, worked on a music festival out there uh, which was a really different experience we were kind of trying to use generators to power a a music festival in a petrol crisis it's shortage and so you know really different experiences there but again something that I I really enjoyed with with that project was uh, understanding sort of what culture means to a really different uh, group of people but actually how sort of music and experience is the thing that unites us all and I think sort of fast forwarding to to Liberty again kind of helping young people to understand how they can use creativity as their kind of route into I guess in into employment but also in expressing themselves and sort of understanding how they're able to kind of realize their identities, I guess. Yeah. I'm just interested, Gillian. I mean, you, you spoke about it there and, and obviously taking us back to, to when you were, were promoting clubs and you spoke about getting getting more young people into to the opportunities or to be aware of the opportunities. I'm just wondering if we kind of rewound back to your kind of childhood and your experience uh-huh. as being, you know, a young adult or, or a teenager. Is there something that, that you can notice from then that kind of drives you forward now to, to, to give other people the, the opportunities that maybe you'd never had? Yeah, definitely. I think my, I, I come from quite quite a creative family, but I think um, in terms of the, the opportunities that sort of were afforded to me, I definitely didn't have, I, I don't think I had a kind of an easy route into being able to get uh, any of the the jobs that that um, sort of my peers had at university, and so I I found it really difficult to get into the cultural industry. And actually, sort of upon leaving university, it, it took me quite a long time to sort of pierce my way through. And actually, having sort of you you mentioned sort of this kind of entrepreneurial attitude but actually it was sort of the only way that I I was able to sort of afford myself the the opportunities that I wanted um and definitely for me now it's it's really understanding how I can help to open the doors that potentially weren't open to me and I think it's something that all of us can can do better than than we do and I think part of that is in understanding sort of how we can look at not only recruitment processes, but also I think understanding what opportunity looks like, because it is, I think that there are 
sort of every everyone within whatever sector you work in individually we can do a lot more yeah to help help young people get into the, the industry for sure yeah I was going to say just before we jump into I think that's, there's a really key point there around opportunities and recruitment and that whole side of things I, I thought it was interesting that you said you found it really hard to get into that because there is nothing formulaic about the roles that you have discussed there. You are not, I can't yeah. imagine as a kid, you would think, oh, I can't wait to work in a bank. There's none of that kind of ticking boxes. It's just having the idea and running with it. Yeah. Does it feel, do you just not get the fear around that? Do you not feel that, or, or could you, you know, you feel the fear and do it anyway and, and just embrace it and jump into it? Because you feel like that kind of person that actually that's exactly what someone who's working in the arts and culture and that sort of sphere wants yeah. from somebody. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about sort of, uh, we can talk more broadly about arts and heritage, but I think that it's still a sector that has huge kind of problems with with opening up to uh, sort of more diverse audiences. And actually, I think within that, we can talk about fiscal diversity as well. So uh, people that are from low socioeconomic backgrounds, I think that um, that actually you know, often the people that are creating culture are not the people that are kind of traditionally in those roles. What, what I've definitely found in my career is that the longer I try to create culture myself and, and find spaces that I could kind of express my creativity, the harder it, it became to, to get into the kind of cultural institutions that I, that I was so interested in, in being part of because I hadn't followed a, a fairly traditional route. Yeah, it just reminded me then, James, speaking to Gillian, it reminded me of uh, the interview that we, we recorded a few months back with Tiani Lu, who was a Chinese-born Kiwi female orchestral conductor. Wow. And, you know, she'd spoken about her journey up into that industry, which was very male-dominated, very, very white, and how she had to break down those barriers that there was no one had tread, trodden that path prior to her, really. So it was difficult to find role models just want to kind of relate that to kind of now and, and, and the youth of today. And I know obviously House of St. Barnabas still has a, a program where it works in, in that area. How do you see some of the challenges that still exist, I guess, after certainly after the last 20 months and, and the pandemic, the, the restrictions there are now on funding? Do you think we're in a in a good place and there has been progress or have we, have we taken a few steps back over the last couple of years? I think it's a really good question. I think that the the pandemic has given everyone an opportunity of pause. And I think that when, I think that it has meant that say, diversity and inclusion, for example, is, is now a, a real hot topic in every organization. It almost feels like we need another five years to see where those, sort of where that journey will take, sort of the awakening as it were, uh, where that, that will start to take said organizations i think we are are definitely in a the best position now than we we have been before where by i think industries are starting to realize how important it is to to help to sort of create a more diverse workforce in terms of house of st barnabas we we we've always really um sort of shouted around diversity and inclusion and, and especially it's sort of the bedrock of our employment program as you say but but even for us I think we've we've really tried to to look internally at how we can strengthen what we do in terms of our cultural program are we kind of living and breathing who we who we're trying to attract in terms of our members yeah is is there more that that can be done around that Mm. 
having that moment just to pause and reflect and actually look at mm. yourself and consider as an organization are you reflecting what you what you want to yeah uh, it's lovely to, to to build that into your your time quite often it's about seeing people in those positions and you know maybe having I'm sure you will be very humble and not say that this is you but seeing you know role models in those positions did you have any when you were growing up you say you came from a really creative family but were there people who you looked at as a youngster and thought that's the kind of job I want to do and that's that's sure. what I want to follow um it's a really good question so as someone that is kind of mixed heritage I mean my my first ever uh, role model was Mel B uh, and it was so exciting. I still just completely love the Spice Girls. James's but, was Mel C. So I knew, I, knew you were, I knew you were going there. I, knew, I was waiting for the gap to talk about you and Baby Spice. But yeah, <laughs> no. In terms of looking outwardly into the creative sector, for um, I don't think I, I did have many role models to be honest. And actually, I think it. What I found really interesting was. Uh, trying to articulate what it was that I wanted to do versus you know knowing that I was a creative person but but not really being that clear what creative roles there were sort of out there that I kind of ended up sort of having a bit of a DIY approach to uh, how I uh, kind of patched together a career for myself versus understanding sort of you know where the kind of near peers were Uh, and I think that that's something really really interesting in say how we build our employment program is it's all about mentoring and it is all about kind of the the program itself is has got lots of training elements that are built into it from sort of near peers Um, and I think that that's something that's that's so important in in understanding you know who are the role models that I can look up to that I I can uh, sort of see myself in in a few years time I think that's something that's really crucial. Yeah. No, it, 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 it sounds like when you when you talk about it there, you know, your early career was, was kind of like a patchwork of all different different mm-hmm. opportunities, different ideas that you navigated around. And you obviously had the self-confidence at that point to, to go and embrace them and find them for yourself if they didn't exist, yeah. which I guess not everybody is, is lucky to have. Um, but certainly sounds like it could be applicable today to definitely, you know, you encourage youth to just try different things, explore different avenues, don't be constrained by tradition and you know following this path and one path and I think we're certainly embracing kind of more kind of squiggly careers is is, is a phrase <laughs> that I know from a podcast that I listen into and it, I love it, that. It, yeah I, I, it's it really kind of resonates it's Kenneth's turn to get the drinks in this week so I'm going to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at do more good pod or if you're a professional business person you can find us on LinkedIn too there's a website, domoregood.uk, packed full with episodes, blog posts, details of the team and a link to the newsletter for your VIP content. Coming back, two pina coladas and a lager for me. We want to come on to Houses and Barnabas a little bit more. So as we, as we touched on in the intro, we, we, we met with Rosie Ferguson, actually had the we're lucky enough to to kind of probably sit in one of the rooms maybe where you are at the moment and see the experience you know we'd never seen it ourselves we'd been around in and around Soho James had probably stumbled out of a nightclub at 4am in the morning but <laughs> never quite knew what it was but can you just explain for those who don't know what it is a little bit more about the organization and what it's what its mission is and what it stands for yeah great so we are actually we think the UK's only charity members club so we we're very much here to break the cycle of homelessness and we do that through working with 
people that have got a, a lived experience of homelessness who are trying to get into employment. So for us, uh, we believe that there are some really crucial um, elements to helping uh, to kind of break that cycle. One is around good home. So making sure that people are in stable um, living conditions, also a good network. So that really is kind of how our um, our members club is, is so crucial in creating the, the best community that we can possibly create around each individual that we work with. And that includes kind of mentoring, uh, getting them involved in, in events, but also just being able to kind of be around the, the rich tapestry of London in a, in a really supportive environment. And then good work. So for us, um, good work means London living wage, but also really stable work contracts. So sort of moving away from things like fixed term contracts, for example, also progression at work as well. So ensuring that there is an opportunity to kind of get more. And what I think has been really interesting for us during the pandemic is, uh, you know, that the hospitality industry in itself. So I guess the the preface to that is that, that we help um, our graduates get into the hospitality industry and... Uh, but yeah, so with the, the pandemic, I think we know that the hospitality industry is now sort of in crisis, really. And actually, that is a is a kind of new layer to, to this challenge of, of trying to help people to sort of navigate an industry that that has been really stretched and is has had lots of different pressures, pressures towards it. Mm. The things mm. that you talked about there, homes, networks good work and, and um, about the minimum wage and that sort of thing. They seem like foundations yeah. before anyone can yeah. then go on to do anything else. And all exactly. of those, particularly after a really volatile couple of years, you talk about the hospitality industry has been on its knees yeah. for the past two years, hasn't it? Everyone is mm. a couple of steps away from that. And um, maybe that, you know, that work you do builds that foundation for people to, to take the next step. Yeah, and I, I think it's really, it's such an interesting time because I think everyone has actually realised, I'm sure lots of your listeners will have found that potentially they they suddenly felt that their job was at risk or that financially there may have been some challenges that people have, have found during COVID. And I think I think what has been really interesting with this time is, is definitely with our members, I think that there has been a real kind of uh, understanding of of actually how real the sort of the threat of homelessness is to everyone and I think yeah it, it is something that you know homelessness can come in a number of different forms it's definitely we don't work with people that are only street homeless I think that they're you know that can be say uh, sofa surfing or renting a, a room that that is um that there are kind of no sort of standards or practices around that so it, it is kind of more com- complex than that mm-hmm. and in the tapestry of Gillian Jackson's career yeah. which I'm seeing it I'm a very picture <laughs> I'm seeing it now you know there's a few yeah. nightclubs down the bottom and all those different experiences <laughs> Malawi over here and House of St Barnabas is the, is the director of engagement yeah how does that role fulfill you what what do you enjoy about about that and can you talk sure. to us about it well what's really nice is if I could uh, look back at the kind of 16 year old me that was uh flyering on the streets for my like terrible uh, club nights I think that what's really interesting is sort of over, over the last uh sort of 17 18 years I've 
I am actually a, an engagement expert. And what has really come from that is understanding how audiences work and understanding, I think for me, I'm, I'm so interested in members organizations now. It's kind of, I, I, I set up the members organization that is, is Liberty, that youth network, and, and now I've moved to House of St. Barnabas, essentially to, to really start to look at the members organization here and, and we're on a mission to make the most diverse members club in the UK potentially the world we should say really but also within that I think understanding sort of how people work and what people need and 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 there's sort of why there is such a huge opportunity now I think is is that people need community more than ever before and that's something that's a real driver for me is kind of understanding how we can make such an interesting and rich community whereby you know you're able to experience the sort of the richness of 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 serendipity and, and life I guess from from people that you maybe wouldn't meet up in other places. I used to be in, in a former career before joining the charity sector I used to be a member at the hospital club mm. um, which you may know which I think went a couple of years ago didn't it but yeah it during the pandemic did it yeah that was that was it I mean but I remember you know thinking as a member there the engagement they were trying to do in around creatives and as you said that kind of serendipity of you you'd be sat in there one day having a coffee and then you just you almost felt that association with whoever was around you because you'd yeah. probably seen them there before and the ideas would spark and you'd have conversations about new and exciting things and I guess that's what a members club can do and what House of St Barnabas looks to do in the future. Completely. And that's that's what really interests me. And and I guess sort of more more broadly than that, uh, the, the, the most exciting thing about this role is it kind of it brings that side of things together. But then also uh, it, it kind of feeds my hunger around promoting because I'm able to to create some really brilliant events here as well. So, um, yeah, I haven't fully hung up my promoting shoes yet. And I'm quite <laughs> happy to be able to still kind of look at, you know, who our Friday night DJs are and and you know, thinking about the the festivals that that we we want to put on in the garden in summer, and you know, we're we're doing an alternative uh, choir concert, for example, in our chapel this Christmas. We've just launched life drawing with gender positive bodies. So I think starting to really look at the programming here is something that's that's really exciting as well. It sounds like the, the perfect role for you, to be honest. Uh, that <laughs> little list. Um, how's it been the past? 20 months so it sounds like you're, you're trying to be more creative and come up with new ideas to keep people coming yeah. in but there must have been challenges this past couple of months yeah it has been hugely challenging so I I said yes to this role in January 2020 and uh, I found out that I was pregnant and then we had a pandemic so it's been probably <laughs> the, the most iconic uh, 20 months that uh, yeah that I could have possibly asked for but um during that time something that's been really powerful for us is our reason for being as an organization so our members didn't leave us when we were shut they still continue to to help to donate to our charity we um, supported over a hundred uh, graduates in in covid to to really just kind of help them to sustain some level of stability and actually i think more than ever before we we know how important it is for us to be here it it has been hugely challenging but but also in some ways i think that i kind of spoke about that moment of pause beforehand i think it's it's helped us to really understand why sort of what organization we want to be now and in the future and actually i think more than ever before there are spaces that like our space that um 
yeah, that, that will be hugely valuable essentially for, for people to come and join. I guess you've got that USP of being, you know, you've got your social good side as well. You're not just a luxury. You're not just a club no. that is somebody's plaything. You know, you're doing great, great work as well. That must have helped exactly. for people yeah. Yeah, when, when they were considering yeah. what was going out of their account, maybe at the end of the month. And yeah, that helps you guys. Exactly. Yeah. And we, I think I'm hoping that we will start to get lots of people leaving places like Soho House and realising that, you know, that they, they need to spend their money in a, in a space that is, that, that, that has a purpose and actually mm. that I, I believe that you know the that we will start to see a, a bigger resurgence of, of kind of social enterprises just in the way of you know I, I don't want to spend my money in places that are only commercial yeah yeah nice look we we could probably sit here all day Gillian I'm conscious of, of, of your time uh just want to touch on one last thing before we before we start to wrap it up is, is your role as the commissioner for diversity in the public realm working for the mayor of London's yeah. office. Can you just talk us a little bit more about that and maybe how it links to your role, how that opportunity came about? I mean, I think just, just for context, I think we like to, you know, hope that people listening to this can take something from certain people. So it'd be interesting if you could talk about how you managed to find yourself in, in, in that position as well. It actually came about in a really interesting way and sort of connected to House of St Barnabas. So upon joining House of St Barnabas, we uh, did some work as an organisation during the kind of Black Lives Matter movement and understood that our building was rebuilt by a slaver called Richard Beckford. Uh, and so he's not connected to the charity, but, but did uh, build our, uh, rebuild our building. And so as director of engagement and kind of heading up the, the marketing brand side of things, I kind of looked into this myself and, and found out that actually uh, my uh, ancestors were likely to be to have been enslaved by Richard Beckford. So this was kind of the most wow. like insane thing to but find you didn't, out. You didn't know that before? No. No, uh, no, 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 no. Didn't know it before. But also I think that the, I mean, A was just such an emotional kind of, it's kind of hard to put it into words actually how sort of raw and sort of uh, intense it, it was as a, as a feeling to, to find that out. And also how it completely kind of changed the response that I wanted to give on behalf of our organisation. So I actually then went down, went, went on a journey to try and understand sort of who, sort of where, whether there were other descendants that, that I could find and fi found an artist called Geica, who is kind of quite uh, a well-known uh, contemporary artist. And he was from the same place as my grandparents in Jamaica. So we think was likely also, uh, so Richard Beckford is essentially the kind of most prolific uh, slave owner in Westmoreland, which is an area in, in Jamaica. And so we commissioned Geica to reclaim our building. And it was a really exciting thing to be able to say, you know, actually this person, Richard Beckford rebuilt our house. We want you to kind of, to rebuild it yourself. And so he uh, created an amazing installation for us, which was called uh, Flight Recorder. And the idea was that it was a black box. Uh, so, so whenever uh, planes crash, they obviously have the black box, which is all of the memories. And, and he created a piece of work, which was essentially the idea that it was a slave ship, the black box of a slave ship. Uh, and what then would the kind of memories be around that and he uh, used sound system culture to essentially create 
this sound piece that as you walked into the room, it would make uh, noises and reverbs and essentially make a piece of music. But obviously we were kind of in and out of lockdown. So the really interesting thing is sort of how that's how this installation occupied the space when when there weren't people in it and then when people kind of came into it. That piece of work is is actually soon to be performed in our in our chapel as a kind of piece of work. But so this this was a really kind of incredible journey for, for me to go on. But also I think it kind of posed the question of how sort of how are our streets and, and buildings, I guess the kind of the power um, control of, of all of the, our, our place names, our streets, our buildings uh, in, in the capital, actually sort of who is in control of, of this voice and, and how are we handing over this legacy that we have of London to our, our ancestors and what does that look like? And I was, yeah, really fortunate to kind of, uh, work on on this project but also it kind of it, it connected with with other projects that I'm doing around say being a trustee for for Culture 24 which is a, a museum uh, consultants as well so it kind of afforded lots of a different interest to me I'm actually a historian as well that's definitely my my uh, subject <laughs> area where'd you, find, where'd you find the time <laughs> <laughs> just another bit of the tapestry isn't it there's the historian there yeah so but wow. um, I guess just to quickly kind of say what we're doing as, as commissioners. So we, we've just launched a fund um, called Untold Stories, uh, which is a really uh, exciting fund helping uh, grassroots communities to, to, to fund projects that potentially have, that they, that have been maybe in the running for a long time or are completely new, um, but we are, are trying to, to get some more work commissioned. Uh, but then also alongside that, we are hoping to uh, create a, a map of all of London's public realm to understand how diverse it actually is. Uh, we know that there are more uh, men named John than there are women as statues, for example. So there's there's a lot of work that, that needs to be done around that. Um, and also we've been working on some program principles to start to understand how we should fund things in the future. And uh, all of this work is, is over two years. So we are hoping to create some really clear legacy around how London's public realm will be funded in the future. Wow. That sounds incredible. That sounds such, yeah, such a journey that you've been on through that. And as a yeah. historian as well, I'm sure it's it's sparked an interest in you because that sounds absolutely yeah. fascinating. Not being a Londoner myself, it's always fascinating going there and just even when you just delve in and look up and see the history of some of the buildings and yeah, I can imagine it's it's probably one of the best places in the world to be for for that kind of look. Gillian, we, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Thank you so much for for your time and for for sharing your your background and your story and you know, inspiring us around House of St. Barnabas and good luck with everything that you've got going on. If any of our guests or, or listeners are listening, you know, please do check it out. If you're looking for a, a place or a members club in London, it's definitely worth a, worth a visit. But we're not going to let you go straight away. We've got some quick fire questions that we normally dip in at the end of our our podcast. So I'm going to crack on with the first one. So, so Gillian, if you could transport yourself back in time and meet your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? I think be be brave and try as many things as you can. All right. That sounds good. Second question for you. Can you tell us about one life hack, productivity tool, a 
a habit or a skill that you have taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? Uh, it's not recently, but I, I every time I do productivity training with young people, I always mention Google Keep, which is it's just it's the best thing that Google has. And it's it's essentially just a note kind of a way of which taking notes. But the best thing about it is you can access it on your phone. You can access it on any laptop that you're ever using. So wherever you are, if you're doing a meeting, you have all of your notes in one place. That sounds good. I've never heard of that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, last question. As a podcast that focuses around people doing more good, what's your favourite story or inspiring individual that you've met on your journey recently who has done something good for others? Um, probably um, someone called Pippa Kaua, and he. I've been working with him for probably about three years now, and he has... He's overcome a lot himself in terms of he sort of, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing that he once had a his own kind of lived experiences around sort of working around gangs um, and has now, he, he's now working in a marketing agency called Amplify, um, but he has, has just started working with Brixton Finishing School, helping other young people that are like himself to get into the industry, so uh, shout out to Pippo. Nice. Brilliant. Perfect. Brilliant. That's great. Well, look, Jenlyn, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. We'll let you go. James, have you got any final thoughts before um, we let Jillian go? Just, I, I thought it was quite nice that usually when we say we've got three questions for you at the end, somebody's face usually drops. Whereas when we <laughs> said it, we kind of said that to you, you smiled. And I thought that is, quite, <laughs> that is, that is just you nailed on. Um, but no, I think we're looking forward to, to finding out more about Untold Stories. And as soon as Mel B does a night at Inferno's in Clapham, we're all going, right? We're yes, all... definitely. My favourite club was The End, though. I don't know if you remember The End. I've, I, I don't think I went, but yes. Oh, yes. He probably wasn't cool enough to get into no, it. <laughs> And if anyone wants to, to reach out to you or, or, or find you, are you on any social media or anything yeah, like that? Head to my Twitter, Gillian Talking. Perfect. Well, look, thank you so much for your time and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks then, guys. Awesome. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Just before we go, can we ask a favour? We would very much appreciate if you can leave us a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast platform. You can also find out more about us on our website at domoregood.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with either James or myself, you can contact us at contact at domoregood.uk. Let us know how we can improve the show, whether you have a recommendation for a guest or whether you'd like to feature yourself. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good. 